0: Usually, we hit about 50 countries, and 49 of them have one listener.
1: Not to brag.
0: So, all you one people out there, you one guy in Hungary, one guy in Zimbabwe, one guy in some other small country, we see you.
1: And you know, we're going to do a fun fun contest now. Uh, if you take a picture of yourself with your nation's home flag, uh, we will give you one year uh, free listening to this podcast, but you have
0: to, you have to have your headphones on and, Mm -hmm. and you better, I guess you have to have a different camera. You have to have somebody take the picture of you because you also Mm -hmm. in the picture need to be holding up and showing us that you are listening to the podcast.
1: Yes, So two hands podcast in one hand, headphones, and then other other uh, hand is nation's home flag.
0: Yeah. Alternative would be print out our logo on a piece of paper must be laminated. Mm. We will check. We have of ways. Course. And then you can take a selfie.
1: Third alternative, you paint the logo of Direct to Podcast on mm. on your body at some on the front side on and the, the front back side.
0: side you do your home nation's flag.
1: Yep, and you have to turn so someone have to It's a boomer well. boomerang effect. Got all that?
0: One year free subscription to Direct-A-Podcast. Roll it. Hey guys, welcome back to Direct-A-Podcast, to episode 32. I'm Kurt Schneider.
1: And I'm Keenan Wetzel. And
0: today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, The Eightfold Collective and Musicbed.
1: This episode of Direct-A-Podcast is sponsored by Musicbed. Just like scouting, filming, and editing, having great music should be an asset to your film, not a roadblock. MusicVet is dedicated to making that a reality. That's why they've completely rebuilt their platform of over 650 world-class artists and composers with brand new features, workflows, and the checkout process. And, with advanced search filters like include-exclude, beats per minute, key song build, and more, finding the perfect song has never been easier or faster. Get 20% off your next on-site license with the coupon code DIRECT20. Learn more at musicbed.com new.
0: On this week's episode, we've got director Ian Ponce Jewel. Ian started out as a music video director and in 2016, he started directing commercials and he has not looked back. To me, Ian seems to be one of the few directors that's really avoided being put into a box. His work is—it takes place on a massive scale, it's funny, it's beautiful. And it's really a, a spectacle every time I see one of his spots is posted. I'm I'm always excited to check it out. So I know you guys are gonna enjoy this one. Ian's got a great story, so let's get to it. Ian, thanks thanks for coming on today, man.
2: Hey, my pleasure. Sorry for the uh, delay in uh, trying to get it going.
0: All good. The good, one, good The good finally. ones. The good ones are always the hardest to rein in. <laughs>
1: That's good <to> know.
0: <laughs> cool so um yeah i mean you know obviously keenan and i have been big fans of your work for a long time now you've got some just some crazy some crazy spots out there i think you're really kind of like on a different level um where you're where you're taking things just mixing live action and vfx um but I, you know before we really get into that i'd love to just of hear how this all started for you And, and i'm also curious like what were some of your interests growing up outside of film
2: cool yeah oh that's a hard good question uh so the interests that i had were i mean i kind of i loved watching films i mean just i used to just love watching films um all I just absolutely loved that. That was kind of probably the only thing really that that I didn't think, ever think about making them or anything like that. I just, I'm an only child, so I don't have any brothers or sisters. I'll be on my own a lot. My parents were
1: super
2: liberal in terms of just, they didn't control what I watched. I could just, they just let me watch anything. And they had so much stuff recorded on VHS um like they just record everything the the good films come on with the the timed recording thing so i had like a whole load of films uh that my parents had recorded and without any control of what i watched i was watching so i'd watch that i was you know stuff early age kind of more adult stuff probably um the (laughs) most vivid Probably the most affecting, vivid early film watch was was uh, probably uh, the Devils. I, can't, I was really young when I watched that, and that that was like, you know, like full on uh, religious, sort of depraved yeah. kind of nudity and stuff. That was quite, and then, um, so that I think that had a big effect, like influence, and a big part of growing up for me. Uh, and then my aunt and my uncle in Spain, my auntie and uncle in Spain, they had they had like practically had like a library of just recorded films. I mean, they had it all in books, and they had it in. Uh, Esteban had like he'd like he'd have it all written out like in a little book, It's like, like a library. I mean, he'd, he I mean it had he had so it was all dubbed though it was all in Spanish, but he had so so that when I'd go to I'd be watching them in it, and then i go to Spain to my family in Menorca where my dad's from and then I'd just uh, be doing film binges at their house with all these films so that was a big part and then I but never really wanted to film and I liked, um, draw, draw, I liked uh, drawing so I was kind of illustrating when I, I, I liked art I did art kind of class and I liked illustrating and then I th- thought I'd like product design instead. I don't know what you call it there, like craft design, like Mm -hmm. wood and stuff. I did a little bit of that. And then I didn't do that. And then I thought I wanted to do photography. So then I went to a school that did photography A-level. And I did a bit of photography. And I also did drama GCSE, which is like when you're like what 12 to 15 or whatever, 12 to 16 GCSE, drama. And I loved acting, uh, just at school, and then I did at the next school when I was eighteen. When we let, when we were leaving, I adapted a an episode of The Young Ones, which is a, this like funny British sitcom, and I adapted that to for us to do as a performance, as like for the stage, I guess. And then and and I played Rick Mayles' character in that and so I did a bit of that as well so then I I guess and then I was about uh, so then the reason I did long story maybe but sorry um so then I finally did film because I had no idea what I was going to do at university absolutely no idea and then I was going to do German or advertising those are my two choices (laughs) the classic
0: position so many find themselves in
2: exactly because i loved german i was just quite good at german and i'd made mates with my mate at school Uh, as good mates with him, i used to go and see him in germany and we'd go like i'd go there and we'd like go to like hip-hop concerts in hamburg and smoke weed and i'd hang out in germany and learn like german swear words and stuff and then (laughs) and then i would chat i would hang out with all the german kids, some of the german kids at school there were like there's some german people there and then so i was good thought like, oh well, what, if, what if i do german i'm like, good at german i could do a degree in it and then i thought advertising's interesting because it's kind of creative and then my friend came along and said what the fuck are you doing he's called tim timmer karamola and he i owe everything to him because he was like what the fuck uh, i'm doing film production at University College for the creative arts and he's told me it was 80% percent uh practical that just I just couldn't believe I just had no idea that you could just make films for three years so I applied for that and thank God I got I got into got in and made yeah and then got into it just literally through doing that course so I really owe a lot to him and uh, that you know the university UCCA because it was just by making stuff there that I got into it.
1: So when did you start directing professionally? like when did it transition from you you leave university um, and then you realize like I can make money doing this?
2: Oh God, the money was a long time <laughs> long time after because uh, I basic I mean I did that to be fair, you know, I finished and then I was like, right you know, my mum my was great. She's like, don't even think about coming home after uni. Like, so <laughs> you've got to just go immediately. You just get yourself sorted in London. And so I was looking for... I had the next two months after uni, two months. It, you know, I was looking for jobs in London that were film-related, and I found this job. I pretended that I could edit with Avid and applied for this job editing these weird, like, internet comedy clip videos. That were customized so that it was like you would um uh you would um you could go on this website and type in your friend's name and then there would be this like girl like undoing her top <laughs> as she as she like with a drink in her hand and she would like go, oh happy birthday, and then she would like do would she would put the glass in front of her mouth and say, Happy birthday cut and then put the you know just as it's obscuring the mouth (laughs) so then you could (laughs) so then you could type in so my job was to cut the clips they were all made by my boss at the time who's who's hilarious like proper character we were working out of his house Uh, the room was next to his bedroom so i'd wake up and like I'd go to his house and he'd be like waking up next door. To, and then so we, so be editing these clips. So pretty much the trick was you just had to obscure the mouth in the clip. And then I would have to, I would edit them. And then when we were filming them, I'd be the one that had to sit down with them and record like over 300 names said in the same intonation. So if it was like, happy birthday, Kurt. So then Kurt, and then she would have to say like, Kurt, Carl, Kyle, <laughs> Kerry, Kerry. And if she went off on the intonation, you know, she's like Kurt, Kyle, Kerry. I'm like, no, could you do that again? Kerry, like, Kerry, and then yeah. So that was what that was my first job. I was it was like minimum wage, um, but it was great. I was minimum wage, but I was kind of doing the thing. And I met a lot of people through it because I didn't know Avid. I'd lied, so I looked on a skill swap website and I asked, I searched in the post for Avid, and one post came up and it said, "I teach you Avid, you teach me English." <laughs> so then I contacted this person and met her, and it's Gaia Baretti, who is most amazing editor. She was she'd moved to London and she was looking to learn English better. And I was know, so I met her, we talked, yeah, cool. And then she gave me a DVD with her work on. I watched it when I got back and was just blown away and asked her to edit, recut my student film. I was trying to get finished up. So then we started working together like that. She's cut pretty much all my work today. Um, that's amazing. You know, she ended up, we ended up living in the same building, this old bank. And then there's a guy, a good, really close friend of mine, Tim Harrison. I met him because he was doing some sound bits for us, but he developed with me <laughs> this the fucking application that would then go on to become the name recording application. <laughs> so this application would flash up the name, Kurt, and you would say the name and it would automatically add, uh, I think it was about five frames before and after the name. So then you would just click go and with the as actors, I could I could watch the program. i click go and they'd, the name would flash up and they'd say the name and it would just trawl through these 300 and whatever names. So he programmed this program with me. He did all the programming. I just said what I kind of needed. and We ended up becoming friends and I saw again, I saw his work. I was like, oh my fucking God, this guy is a, a sound designer. This guy's a genius. And so I asked him to do the sound um, on my one of my first pieces. And we ended up working together really closely and made short films together and all this stuff. So, you know, it was, uh, yeah. So it's like two really important people I worked with that was through that job as well. But in terms of directing professionally, Honestly, it was only until I did one content piece, two thousand twelve. So my first music video was two thousand nine. All of them have been unpaid, ninety five percent unpaid, pretty much. You know how it is. Um, And then uh, I did, I do like I've done like three really awful commercials for money. One gave me like seven grand, and another one gave me like ten. I, I, when I get one of these bad commercials, I'd live off it for the whole year, whilst uh, propping up my income. But doing also, I, I was washing up at my mate's restaurant. I've, I was doing wedding videos, which was the world's worst job. <laughs> I'd rather do, I'd rather lick. You gotta toilet post. Seats. You gotta
0: post one of those.
2: Yeah, I'll take, I'll take, I'll try to dig one out in on my old drives. <laughs> I mean, I forgot to, I had the mic turned off on one of them. I forgot to have the mic on for the best man's speech. And I had to, and I realized it went was, went white, and much like the, and then uh, I, I, I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. I mean, we could dub it. And they said, yes. So then I went, had to go back to their house <laughs> half a year later and so you know in the wedding day everyone's like oh yeah this is the best thing in the world and we're the best people in the world and everything's great and you know like most weddings so then i'm going back to this these people's house and you go in and it's like the husband's on the couch slouched (laughs) out with like with his food on his lap watching tv like hardly turns his head to say hi the wife comes out of the kitchen with a tray like, do you want some tea? Do you want some biscuits? You know, and then goes back in. And then I go into their little office as the brother comes who's been waiting. who's like in his suit from, just come from his job and, and we re-record his speech and then I had to cut it to images. Oh, it's just tragic. I thought it was the last one I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking awful.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So oh, that-, that
2: was, you know, doing that and then uh, and then my first commercial was 2016 the summer of 2016 so not long ago you know three just done three years ago uh for Atello
0: that's insane so I mean I guess talk a little bit about kind of your your experiences and the you know the differences between the music video world and and the commercial space maybe the differences of sure working with agencies versus um you know with labels or different things like that
2: sure it it's it's just like a a chasm between them it's insane i was shocked honestly because i always thought well i mean i'm really i'm pretty uncompromising um as i think everyone should be in a music video when you're not getting paid I mean, it's just part and parcel. But I mean, I'll, I'll be soup up. This is how the whole video is going to be. And uh, I've had good, really great experiences, and awful ones. But mostly great. I make great commissioners. I've worked with a really lovely, amazing commissioners, like great artists. But I've, then I've had some terrible ones as well. But for the most, but you still get loads of shit, even when you've had a decent ride. Um, and what i was shocked about when i first got that first commercial so a few years ago 2016 i was just shocked that this agency guy um brilliant it's ecd robert krauser who i owe a lot to as well like for getting me that job because i didn't really have anything on my reel commercially but he got he really wanted me for the job got me this job and with anorak films and then i was just shocked at they listened and asked me my opinion on it, like everything. And it sounds really stupid to be, so sounds kind of stupid to say it like that, but I really didn't know that you could command like what you wanted to do and it be really listened to and respected as well. And that really helped formed kind of how I'd then go on with commercials have always, always pushing it always this is the best creative route but you're always it's a different thing like in music video you're this is the script you got it you're kind of going ahead and then you're trying to just trying to get it made somehow without any money and it's just a nightmare in a in a commercial I always thought well I'd always saw commercials as oh, I'll never do them I' still have you know this is Two thousand nine is my first music video, and it's two thousand sixteen. I get my first commercial. I, by that point, I thought I'll never get one. Um, just something about me isn't ever going to get one. So when I, so then when I I always thought I'll just do like shit commercials for money, like once a year. Because so I was, um, but then I got this good one and realized just how. I don't know. I'd kind of, I think I'd convinced myself that you couldn't make great commercials so there was no point doing them just mm-hmm. to make myself feel better and then i just loved this experience this first one then i did hornback which was just like so out there and the, the guido the ecd is amazing and we were just he was the one telling me to like no he he needs to spit on their camera and i'm like oh my god like, this is a commercial. Where the ECD is telling me to tell the actor to spit on the camera. I should have thought of that. Um, so, I've just I've had like amazing experience in the commercial world, but I know that some people don't. But I think there's a lot more control than a lot of people let on um, than there is. But ultimately, the difference between them, the biggest, is the money. I mean. It's been life-changing doing commercials. It's completely life-changing financially, and commercials are complete. Not only are they unpaid, there you lose money doing them because you're not doing a paid project while you do them. Um, and the respect is completely different. You get you get far more respect within the commercial world. I mean, it's insane how to think that. When you're unpaid, you're not given any respect. I mean, the stories I hear from people, I've seen emails people that that, that they get from labels or managers talking to them like they're absolute garbage, and that they're as if they're paying them like millions, and that they're they're working unpaid. And it's, I mean, I've and I had it on my on my two. I tried to, to make two videos last year. What both have been and the. You know the first one was, was canned, and and I mean the the disrespect I got from the manager, like demanding I pay her back. You know, they never paid us the last twenty five percent of the money. That she was demanding that I pay her back the money. You know, a video that's got the value we calculate. We I said, so, look, I'm going to do you an APA budget so you can see how much it actually costs. Uh, and my amazing producer. Nicole Powell, she did a... a I shouldn't say that like, so it's going to be clear which video it was. But anyway, she did the budget and, you know, we're talking 250,000 250, or 200,000 for total. And they got the video. We pulled it off for like 49,000. So the actual value, labour value is over 200. They're getting it for 49. And I think... Doing APA budgets on all music videos has to happen. So labels understand look, this is what you're getting. Right. We're doing it for thirty, but the actual cost value of this, if we were paying everyone properly, is, you know, quadruple, quintuple. Um so the biggest difference is unfortunately, I would actually say it's the respect apart from, it's the money and the respect. Do you feel prof- like there is pro- professionalism?
1: Sorry about that. But do do you do you feel like there's a, a less creative freedom almost in a way with a music video because you have someone like like an artist um so closely attached? I mean, I think people think of music videos as like the most the most creative outlet, but um how do you handle dealing with an artist who seems like they're more and more being involved in like the directing, even some asking to like co-direct?
2: Yeah, I mean I have to, it's kind of a world I've avoided. I mean, I try to not even have the artists in it because I just try not to deal with them because a lot of them are, uh, you know, it's it develops people into being very narcissistic when you're surrounded by that kind of thing. And I think some really are, like, some artists are... Uh, uh, it just completely, they're just talk- it The difference is that you can't just. But you know, it's, you can't say all artists are like this because they're not. There's there's some that were terrible, some that were amazing, some. Of that. So I think it depends on who you work with as well, you know. Because uh, I, I mean, I would, you know, uh, 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 talking of amazing, like I've worked Sevdaliza for example. She's incredible, super trusting nothing is off the table creatively and if she was to say oh I've got this idea and I want to do this that I would 100% go in with that then there's another there's other artists I work with if they were starting on a level which is that oh what I've got this idea and I want to do that I would I'd run a mile it really depends on the person um but the creativity freedom of the creativity I think a music video is at the beginning it's on the writing Uh, And if they sign off on that writing, then you're just protecting that idea. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same with a commercial. You're given a script, you do a treatment. The freedom is within the right your outlook on their script. Then it's about protecting it. Um, But often, at least with the agency, from my experience, you're both protecting it against client rather than in a music video, you're kind of, it's just you and your company work protecting it against label and artist. If they're ones that aren't fully collaborative, but there are labels and artists who are super supportive and super collaborative, you know. It's um so yeah. Uh, the creativity, the freedom thing. I think ultimately, though, no one can tell you where to put the camera. I mean, they can try and tell you where to put the camera, but I think something but it makes it easier to talk about within the commercial medium in terms of freedom of creativity that you, something that's meant to be really stifled. end of the day they can't you're they're not telling you where to put the camera and camera placement is everything um, is is a big thing. It's not everything everything but it's a big part. and I think um, you you have to find your areas of freedom. In both, in different areas, and I think a music video, for the most part, is in the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where it happens. If they sign off on some mad idea that you've written and you're you're making it, and then you get stifled on styling and this and that, sure, you've lost you've lost in certain departments, but the writing world, the world you've written was one born from a, inside a creative freedom. Whereas in a commercial, the script's already written and your freedom creatively is how you interpret it, where you put the camera, the casting, um, the art direction, uh, sound, music. Right. That's, those are all the different areas that you have to try. in. And-
0: so it's almost the opposite in a sense.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, pretty much. Yeah.
0: Well, I wanna I wanna talk about a couple of your commercials specifically. First, the uh, the Michelob call from nature one. Mm. That one's like such an such an out there idea. I'm just you know I'm curious what the process of developing sure. that spot was like. How much of it was the agency's idea versus where where you eventually took it to? Sure. So, uh,
2: so that one, well. Th- yeah, that's probably my the favorite one of the favorite things I've done because it I hadn't ever done something like that that felt so risky, so huge, but also so risky, and also it had the potential of being like amazing or awful. <laughs> and when yeah. I read the script, I and this is really the, the ECD is amazing. He's called Sam Lucini, and he you know, he's, they, him and his, he wrote the concept and he sent it over and you read it and you're like, okay, there's people in the city, they're going about their lives. and uh, One of them then starts, the sun's coming and there's a the sun setting and one of them starts to like become a monkey and goes off. And then you see a couple and they're walking like, like uh, two birds and then you see someone else running like a dog on all fours and then they all go to the nature and then they end up on a plateau as they look out to the sun and drink a beer and i thought oh my god this is terrible (laughs) i mean this is just awful this is going to be terrible and then and you know so maybe then i read it again i said oh wait a minute and then i chat to my my dave morrison uh, uh, the owner of reset you know he was he really helped so i was like oh it's kind of like we were talking together it's kind of like if you think of it like through the lens like frank Budgeon type work and then that really clicked and i was like oh my god this okay no this is this script is genius i mean it's could be amazing it's all in the execution and he he totally, I never knew, at the beginning, I didn't know if the ECD had a tongue-in-cheek angle on it or not, whether he was just genuinely quite thinking of it as really love-like people turning into animals, or is it? did it have a bit of humour to it? And then throughout the process, I realised just how much he did have that. It was He was on the same page of the balance of the really fine line that it walked, which is I mean, it's really if you didn't make that ad well, it's really it could have just been so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just yeah, I don't know. And a huge part of that is, and I worked with this uh, incredible movement choreographer called Charlie Mayhew, and she we worked with her on that. My producer found, and that that really was it was transformative. Of the whole piece, you know, get all the movement and and see she just did. She just we just did a music video now. That's it's not. We just locked the edit the other day. She worked on that with me as well. So yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, so very much. You know, Sam at the agency and all of the agency were amazing. Were brilliant on it. They protected the idea. They made sure we just lost the music battle in the end. They they fought to the death, but we lost the music battle, and we had. In my opinion, the worst possible music ended up going on it, which for me ruined it. But then, the director cut I did with the music composed by Ali Helnwein ended up going. Sam did <laughs> the, the ECD like kept pushing it, and he sent it back to him. Was like, look, like if you want to send it to awards and stuff, you kind of need to use in this version. And then in the end, they said yes. So the director cut became the official edit. for online and stuff um and so you know that's great now it's going to get used as an official piece for you know awards or whatever
0: that's awesome what what were some of the difficulties that you ran into on the on the project
2: it was things not being funny it was just always wait is that funny is it good funny bad funny (laughs) it was like yeah someone walking around like a monkey you're know, like oh that's not gonna work well walk or a group of people walking like like flamingos and it not be stupid or silly or make you just laugh right it had to be beautiful and you had to be feel want you to get your head like want to rate get give you goosebumps and it had to be this and that was just the thing most thing in the back of my head the whole time was just it's just going to be funny because it shouldn't be funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That was that and uh, working out galloping, humans galloping. So my idea was when I was writing, it was, oh, what if my idea was to get like wiring rigs? So we wire rigs. So they'd be harnessed and they'd be supported with a wire rig going up that we Mm -hmm. had on a zip line. And then we'd pull the zip line and they would be able to kind of, Gallop freely on all fours and then we'd you know delete all the wires. And that I didn't know if that was gonna work. And that worked perfectly in the end. So that that was kind of the biggest stunt challenge.
0: Did you have to do a lot of testing for that? I'm assuming.
2: Yeah, we did. We did the casting and then we had the stunt people at the casting putting people into harnesses. So we'd we'd do a casting and then I'd be like, yes or no to the actor but i'd do it in a with a secret symbol because i feel so bad during castings i I would just be like yeah thank you goodbye i'd like to give a i would like uh just showing number two to the ad so then he would like they they would go to the next stage and go to to the harness and we'd put them in a harness just to check they didn't like shit their pants or, or look weird or
0: right
2: you know because some people in a heart can't do anything in a harness they they look weird or uh, so that so then we put them in that and so during the casting we were already kind of playing around with the pulling and the galloping and stuff it
0: um you know I think a lot of your a lot of your work has vfx integrated into it has that you know i guess is that something that that you're making a conscious effort to push for or is it just kind of you know you did one thing and it's kind of snowballed into a bunch of other pieces
2: yeah it's something i never think about and would never even think of myself as a kind of vfx angled director in any way it's just you just—it's just like, in the same way that you uh, thinking of it like a like you wouldn't think of a director as I oh, often using the techno crane. It's like a right. technocrane director, either. But it's a totally valid observation because there is so much affectionate, But I guess my point is, I never think of it as like that. I don't try and put it in. In fact, if anything, I try not to put it in or that it's in, as in camera as much as possible. Um, but it's just it's just a natural part of the filmmaking process. And it's this tool that's there that's incredible. And it has you get a whole host of incredible artists with it that it's kind it's it just ends up helping the story or it help, it's like, you know, it's like the cliche, it's always there for the story, right? <laughs> but, um, it really is. It's kind of just part of that. Um,
0: do you have a pretty good understanding of it? Like after, yeah, after this def- or is it more so surrounding yourself with really skilled people?
2: Yeah, you definitely uh, got more and more understanding of VFX and how it works, which has always, which helps every time you do it. Then you're writing it. I can then be bidding a job correctly. I can help bid a job correctly, or I know uh, how things work a bit to a point. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's you're leaning on you know these amazing VFX companies, and a big part of it was. I've done some stuff in the music videos before with VFX, but pretty limited. And then I worked with time-based arts on um, Hornback. And that was the first proper, like, proper CGI. And, and, you know, they're they're absolutely, like, one of the best spots for VFX artists. They're just amazing. And uh, working with them constantly after that, like, job after job. And I learned... I've just learned so much from working with them because they're also very. I think a lot of posters they very much like about in camera. They've like they're, their their work super integrated. Like the VFX doesn't stand out; as it's all working with the, in the image. And a big part of that is we always whenever we do stuff, it's always um, looking at in camera. How do we shoot this in camera as much as possible? Um, so, you're shooting plates at least for it, or you're shooting things for reference for it. So, that was a big learning experience for me. Work with them and seeing that you, you'd shoot stuff, but sometimes you're not even using that image. It's just there for a reference, a lighting reference. And that, But that's something that, you know, many, you know, all post houses do, but I, working with them closely and with a lot of communication in that early stage did certainly really develop my understanding of post and love for it as well.
1: So, Ian, can you also talk about the Ford, the future is built Because I think that that spot has your style to it, but it also adds something different with the performance with Brian Cranston. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that project came about? Cause it seems like a, a pretty ambitious project for Ford to do. It's a little bit more unique than stuff they've done in the past. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah.
2: That, that, that one, um i got the script in and the voice i just fell in love with the voiceover um i loved how what i liked about it was like because often like commercials are all jumping on like social justice bandwagon in a very vacuous way um and it's like jumping on these different like trending um uh, causes or things just to sell something and it's all very transparent and kind of a bit sickening to be honest um not saying the causes <laughs> the, sickening, the actual the commercial industry kind of riding on these things and like suddenly like you know a can of coke's being sold with some like message behind it and it's like it's a can of coke you know where it's there it's a car and it's trying to be Tag itself to some other thing, and it's right. this. And then this script came with Ford, and it's just like it's pretty, just kind of no bullshit. Like, yeah, we're Ford. We just fucking make cars. We fucking make them for years. This is like we're gonna make the future because we're building it. We make it's kind of. I loved how different it was in that sense. Mm-hmm. Not that I might necessarily agree with mass production of cars, but you know, you just certainly put your Morals to the side when you when anyone in advertising <laughs> has to, yeah. but uh, so that's what I initially loved about it. Uh, that, well, and it's had Brian Cranston in it. I never for a minute believed he would actually be in it. I was like, they always put like, oh, and we're going for Brian Cranston, and then in the end you don't get Brian Cranston, but they did, which is amazing. But I wrote the whole thing, you know, I had their script, and it, re- it needed a good, like. What good amount of work on it, and I sort of came up with this how to go from one thing to another. I looked at like the history and blah blah blah, and um they had certain scenes in there, certain scenes I changed, like changed kind of different parts, like the whole flow. And I had I had to write that in like f- uh, about I wrote in like the whole treatment like about four hours in between three, so I was doing the three commercial in ukraine and i was doing calls like at night and then i'd get up and shoot and then i'd come back and i had like four hours to write the whole thing so like so then we sent it in and we got it and that was it and then then we were just worked from that and it pretty much the end the film that you've seen to the treatment hasn't changed like one bit it's the tone the structure everything is exactly the same but if you look at the official version on the Ford YouTube, it's compl- it's pretty different. Um, it ended up kind of going left. It kind of went, uh, no, south. <laughs> it, it went south. Like after we've presented the edits and stuff, uh, client changed the music, wanted this stuff in it that was never meant to be in it. And so it went pretty bad. Yeah, I still think it, st- it stood out for Ford. But the director cut you're talking about isn't the piece that got signed off.
0: Um, I guess you know I talk a little bit about your style, and you know maybe it's not something you've at all made a conscious effort, and it's just something that you know us as viewers are able to see. But like for me, in the majority of your spots, I mean, you mentioned tongue in cheek. I feel like that's kind of perfectly summarizes a lot of your work, having just that that subtle you know it's I, I love that how it's cinematic yet has just that those subtle elements of comedy in a lot of them um you know I don't know maybe talk a little bit about how you discovered that or is that even something you feel like you discovered
2: yeah oh it's I honestly I know that like when I'm doing uh, something that is a, an all-out comedy that I know what I'm doing. I know it's it's like trying to be funny and pushing it to the limit, pushing it to the edge. And I like, I, I've got a pretty dark sense of humor. So I think that naturally ends up, I'm trying to put that in, not consciously, but just because that's how I that's what I find You, when you're doing comedy you're kind of doing stuff that makes you laugh it's all very selfish in a way right, kind right. of just like what do I want to watch what what would I find funny and you're just writing stuff and you're like oh that's funny and then it goes in so I think it's kind of a you're bouncing it almost off yourself so that's certainly the way it goes in uh, so when it's all out comedy it, I think that's I kind of I'm more conscious of it but then I definitely don't I get that the style can be seen across the work, but I don't, I can't, I wouldn't be able to tell you. It's like you say, because I'm not conscious of it. It's, and I think it's something I'll try and always make sure I'm not conscious of so that it's always coming from gut and it's coming from instinct. Um, But I guess I don't, Think of genre, and I guess like, like even with something like, um, uh, like Ford, it's reads very kind of it might read a bit more serious, but then there's always little broom that naturally some humor can go in here and Mm -hmm. there. But it's not a purposeful thing for sure.
1: Yeah. Cool, man. So. Uh, you know, wrapping it up, we we normally uh, like to end with a little advice. Maybe you would give yourself if you, uh, before you started out, um, kind of looking back, what you might tell somebody maybe starting out, or what you would have told yourself.
2: Yeah, oh, I would say it kind of depends what stage you're at. If you're just about to step in to it, the best advice I think, or the best thing to try and do is secure yourself financially and time-wise. So financial and time freedom. I mean, you're never going to be financially free, that's for sure. But what I mean by that is essentially trying to do freelance work. Time is is your wealth at that stage. You've got to free up your own time. If you go straight into a 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, and trying to do your stuff on the side, it's going to take you three times as long. If you can scrape it and you've got your time rich but money poor, that is worth far more. That, that's the best thing that I feel really lucky to. after, after I came out of university. I did this that job that was wonderful, but then I got it down to – it was doing like three days a week, and I was doing little bits of freelance videography work, and it doesn't matter what it is. That for me is being time rich is the biggest, biggest like wealth there is. Um, that would be the biggest kind of thing I think that's really useful. And then, other than that, it kind of then depends at what stage. If you're already doing music videos and you're making work, don't get first. One thing is the best advice I ever had actually was from director, really great director Ben Newman. He told me forget the noise. Forget about the noise, and that's the best thing of it. Like, you just gotta blot out everything around. There's so much chit chat around everything all the time. Who's hot? Who's not? This video is great. This video is not top 10 this top 10 that award here. Award that just that's all good and it's important, but don't be like hounding after the staff pick, hounding after the festival, like making that matter. It's about each work, each piece of work. And thinking of it almost like a slow-building legacy you might be making. You know, each piece of work, that bit of work might not blow up here or blow up there, but it's another piece in your step. And it's kind of just—you just, just got to make work, keep making more and more. Every time you make something, that's the biggest amount you you have learned since that day. Is the next piece that you make? That each piece you there's something new, a different challenge. And you, your execution just becomes more and more fluid with each piece you make. It's so much more important to be going straight on to filming something that you believe in than stopping and sending stuff around and trying to get like a, a position in a company or a creative freelance job in an agency. If you can be focusing on then just making another piece of work and another piece of work, that's, that's the second bit of advice, I say.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. I think that's great advice. Well, before we let you go, should we, should we talk about the Kanye video? (laughs) Sure. So I guess just, just to fill, fill the audience in, uh, I, I actually met Ian when he was in Detroit filming, uh, Kanye West music video and I was helping out a little bit on, on it. And, uh, yeah, I've just been, I've been dying to talk to Ian about this job because it, uh, it was, uh, kind of a a disaster from 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 my from my perspective so ian i'm I'm curious to hear your side of things
2: (laughs) yeah i mean oh my god for me it was it was my uh what's it called my it was my personal it was my mini don quixote you know (laughs) what's his name what's his name uh amazing director whose name i've forgotten fuck gillian Gilliam, you know, Killian. it was like, you know, I watched Don Kite I was like, oh my God, I'd seen that before, you know, I was like, oh my God, imagine, imagine going through something like that. <laughs> and the Kanye video was just, an, it was a horror show. It was really like, I never had anxiety in my life. I didn't think it existed. I was like, people are like, oh, I, I, I get anxiety. I was like, really? You get a bit worried? Like, what? I <laughs> What are you talking about? Excite? Like it's not the thing. And then like, I really discovered what it meant. Uh, I mean, I was on the border of like. At one point, I almost had a panic, panic attack. I think I was like, I could. I was like, did not want to leave the house at one point. And the reason being, it's not. I'm like, I mean, not oh, Kanye's is a nightmare. It was the whole thing. The problem was, I'd never been in a situation where I wasn't in full control in terms of a shoot. Right. I, I have absolute control, you know, with my crew, with my team, my producer. And, you know, even if it's like the agency side might be going to shit or the client side might be going to shit, I can take a step back, huddle with my crew and be like, we've got to do this, this, this. We Let's do this. What do you, think? you know, there's control. With this, it was like, you know, it started off as a shoot, a performance in a bar. And that was it. And then we'd shoot some stuff later. Then that was coming up. And 24 hours before, it was like, oh, I want to be a dog. Like, when we were calling up prosthetics people 24 hours before the shoot to try and wrangle the thing. And then that was obviously impossible. So then that became a test shoot. So then we had to, then we had the, the next installment was like um, the proper shoot was then in Detroit. So then we were going to Detroit. And all these people being added to it, cars that he wanted. Um, and it was, you know, amazing as well. Like the stuff we were doing was incredible. The whole uh, concept that was brought, the brief that I had to work from and develop was amazing. You know, it was, so it's also an incredibly positive experience as well, but also a horrific one. Probably equal horror and amazing. It, and you are going up and down all the time from through this, and. You know, it was, it, we were like second day in on the Detroit one, and then you know, six lines meant to be in it, and then I someone sends me a text message saying, oh, "You know, his bodyguard's just been shot." And it's like his bodyguard been shot in the stomach after he came out of a hearing where he was he'd pleaded guilty to sharing videos of like an underage girl who was filming. He was like I don't know, sucking dick at a party or some shit like that, and I had no idea about that. So, like, oh my god, I'm filming this dude tomorrow. And then then we find out the track gets changed. So we've already shot all this stuff. And then the track got changed. Actually, he wants a different track. Like, oh, my God. So the track changes. Now it's got Nicki Minaj on it instead of Sixth Time. You know, and I'd heard stuff about that. So then that happened. And then I go, oh, my God. So then we were like, can this even be recut to the new track? And are we going to have to reassess everything? And this was just went on. For you know, about a month and a half, um, three producers, uh, and the last leg, which was the two she, I mean, my my producer was incredible on it, Arlene. Um, t- she just like managed to pull it all together, and we 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 managed to get through with, with everyone. Um, yeah, Arlene McCann's amazing, and then she had basically uh. We just finally got there. We had the last shoot day, and the last shoot day just went so amazingly well. And it was like, and then we finished, and it was like, wow. <laughs> and then the crazy thing was, and I was shooting, this was with my great mate and DP Mauro Chiarello shot it all. He was, you know, the whole crew was amazing. Keto, art director, was amazing. At first, another art director, at LA, it was amazing. And we basically, Luckily, I had my crew around, you know, so it was great. And then the last day was incredible. And then, you know, during this, I pitched a commercial and I had this other commercial going. And normally I'd be like, I shouldn't take anything else on. But this commercial, Ally Bank, became my, like, light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> it was like, another job, which was complex in its own ways, ended up becoming this, like, amazing, like, endpoint for me. So then... At I knew that this next job was coming. It was going to be like smooth because it was in the commercial world. <laughs> Became my like light at the end of the tunnel. And then, so we finished the shoot in this warehouse. We finished like 4 a.m. We go home. Wait, I sleep for a few hours. I get up, get in the van to Tech Recce. my next job straight away. Next day, in the van, we drive, and we I'm driven back to set the canyons. <laughs> and i i forgot that we were shooting a scene and so we're like and my dp mara had no idea and he thought it was like i played a joke on him (laughs) It was like driving him back to this to the horror show so yeah it was um an incredible experience and uh it the video is such a banger but what happened looks like it's shelved so it's never gonna come out, probably.
0: Tell, what was the whole thing with iPhone versus Alexa? Because oh, I, it, I, yeah. I, I. Every time I walked in the room, it was, I feel like it was going back and forth.
2: Yeah. So it 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 was. Um, I was first told iPhone, like Kenya wanted iPhone. I was, and I was really unsure. The iPhone, I don't know let's try both then we did the test we did both and I was like I still feel like Alexa's because I didn't want to close any door and uh, I was like oh, I still think Alexa's better and then he was really adamant about iPhone so we're like right let's just we got on embr- <laughs> I mean really really adamant about it so uh, to the point it has to be done so I we just embraced it and it was great like it was it it's makes the video what it is it, i'm so glad that 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 happened because it looks so mate it looks like so weird short iphone and i think it's something that his director he works with often eli uh shoots a lot of iphone i think that's what his um why he was really wanting to use it because he he'd seen the work that eli had been doing with iphone what did that kind of more visceral kind of feel?
0: And he did so, yeah. he did the faded mm-hmm. music video in the yes. gym.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's fascinating, man. You made it. You made it out alive.
2: Yeah, yeah. And now, no job is can ever be as challenging. So, it's, the good thing about doing these things is, then you do that, and then you are like another job comes up, and you like it, that you might normally be nervous about. But then once you do that, you're like, your nervous benchmark goes up, and then things are easier. (laughs) Right. It's weird. It's kind of like the good thing about doing those things.
0: There you have it, guys. That was Ian Pond's Jewel. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next time with a new director and a new podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Another hit, when I here, uh, one over here.